What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. So many women on this podcast talk about how counseling has benefited them in the grieving process. So I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's an online counseling service that allows you to match with a licensed professional therapist that can access your needs through online chat, video call, or a phone call. Pretty incredible during a pandemic, if you ask me. It's a more affordable and accessible way to get counseling. Life After Miscarriage listeners will receive 10% off their first month when they sign up through my special link, betterhelp.com slash L-A-M for 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash L-A-M. Get matched with a counselor today. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Teresa Higgins on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Teresa, I'm just going to toss it at you. Do your thing. I can't wait to hear a little bit more about your journey. All right. So, yeah, I'm Teresa Higgins. I'm 31 years old. Um, My husband, Kyle, and I live in Ontario, Canada. Um, Currently, we only have a fur baby. Uh, We have Riley, our Bernese mountain dog. She's kind of the center of our universe at the moment um so basically to start probably even before the our fertility journey it uh would go back to childhood I was always that kid who was known for you know having that special touch with any of my little cousins and getting them to soothe and getting them to sleep and um was always the go-to babysitter I always had this kind of natural maternal instinct and was kind of constantly told you know you'll be a great mom one day and you uh, you're you gotta have kids and all this kind of stuff um the natural maternity stuff kind of came in more so when my mom passed away when I was 12 um and a year before that my dad had had a stroke putting him in a nursing home for the rest of my or the rest of his life so the rest of my teenage and adult life he was in a nursing home um so a lot of my maternal instincts landed on my little sister (laughs) I feel like I had quite like a hand in raising her um and then that even carried over into my professional life I worked as an early childhood educator um in daycares before I actually went back to school to get my teaching license so now I'm a uh, elementary school teacher so that's what I'm doing nowadays so I definitely get my fill of kids um but it was never you know it's never quite the same until you have your own um so in 2013 I met my now husband Kyle um so we've been together ever since I'll get it out of the way now because I know I'll get more emotional as this goes on um just my husband is the absolute I don't know best person you'll ever meet he's so incredibly kind and loving and just fun and generous and I could not ask for a better partner um and every time I (laughs) explain him I get emotional just because I realize you know how lucky I am and how special he is and um he's meant to be a dad and I think that that's what drives me the most with what we've gone through is 
getting that at the end of this that he will be a father because it's truly truly is what he's meant he's meant to be um so in november of 2018 we got married uh, we got married in mexico so we were advised to wait six months after we got married um, just because of the threat of zika virus still being in our system for a few months after we left mexico so we did we waited the six months so about end of may um, early june we decided that we could start to try safely um, to our surprise we conceived on our first try and we got a positive pregnancy test um, we decided that we should wait to tell people i'd always heard that you should wait you know, until the quote unquote uh, safe zone of 12 weeks to tell others. Um, but of course, I told my sisters, I have two sisters who are my absolute best friends. So there's no way I'm, you know, keeping anything like that from them. And my husband told his brother, um, but we kept the circle small this time. Um, but at the end of July in 2019, I was visiting my sisters in Ottawa. Um, that's about six hours from where I am um, and I started cramping and I had very light brown spotting just when I was when I went pee and I would wipe after um, so of course I start googling frantically <laughs> like we I'm sure we all can relate to um, everything I read on Google was basically telling me that that was normal and that light spotting was okay as long as it wasn't you know heavy like a period or it wasn't bright red or you weren't filling a pad um and that the cramping was okay as long as it wasn't as bad as period cramps or it wasn't severe and it wasn't it was all very mild um so i tried to just tell myself you know don't freak out i'm sure it's normal um but after a few days of this um i called my doctor when i got back to my hometown just to make an appointment and for an ultrasound, just to check and make sure everything was okay. At this point, I hadn't seen anybody in Ontario. If you're going with an OBGYN or a midwife, they don't see you until about 11 or 12 weeks. Um, so I hadn't seen anybody about this yet, which was about the pregnancy yet, which was considered normal. Um, but I know I've heard a few people say on here that when something goes wrong, you just know that something's wrong. It's definitely an innate feeling and instinct almost. I think you get to know your body so well during pregnancy. You notice every little change that when something's starting to go wrong, you feel it. Um, so I realized that I had lost some symptoms. You know, I lost the breast tenderness. I lost some of the nausea, the fatigue. Um, and all that and starting to put all that together was definitely making me panic a little bit more. At this point, I was supposed to be about 10 weeks. Um, so I knew if I went for the ultrasound that they should be able to see something. So I went for the ultrasound. Um, I actually heard somebody explain on a recent episode on here that also lived in uh, Canada that the, they don't let your partners come in with you when you go to an imaging clinic. So, which I didn't know until we went for this ultrasound. So my husband took off work and came with me to the, to the ultrasound clinic, but then they wouldn't let him come into the exam room with me, which was unfortunate. Um, but I guess they have their reasons. Um, but all I remember from that ultrasound 
was, I remember she was pushing, the tech was pushing really hard on my abdomen and for a long time. And I know I've also heard people say this, it's just, it's not like the movies, you know, they don't have you looking at the screen. They don't point it out to say, oh, there's your baby. You don't hear the heartbeat, all this kind of stuff. Um, so literally the tech is looking at the screen and you're just laying there awkwardly silent. Um, and she eventually told me that she was having a hard time with the abdominal ultrasound um, because I guess I discovered on this day that I have a tilted uterus. So my uterus tilts backwards. So she said that was normal with a tilted uterus that sometimes it was harder to get a clear image. Um, so then she wanted to do the, the transvaginal ultrasound. So we did that. Um, pretty uncomfortable, but oh well. <laughs> that's what we've all been through right um again she wasn't saying anything she kept telling me to move different angles move this way move that way um to try to get a better picture eventually she told me that she wasn't allowed to say much and there are signs all around the room telling you you know our, our technicians are not allowed to disclose medical information you need to wait for your doctor so she basically reiterated that to me but she did say I don't see, um, I do see a pregnancy, or sorry, a gestational sac, but I don't see anything inside of it. Um, but you're going to have to wait for the official results from your family doctor. So the imaging center's doctor will look at them, send them to your, the results to your family doctor, who will then contact you. So, of course, leaving that appointment, we were very you know, disheartened and discouraged. And we assumed that that meant that there was nothing there. They kept trying to tell us that maybe we were just measuring, um, like maybe we were later on in the pregnancy than we thought. Um, but we had been tracking and I'd been tracking my ovulation and my periods and stuff for months before we started trying. So I was pretty certain of the dates. Um, so we did all this research between um, leaving that appointment and eventually hearing from our family doctor a couple hours later. And we did come across something that uh, was essentially called a blighted ovum. So we went into the appointment with my family doctor, basically expecting to hear that that's what it was because the symptoms um, and the images all seemed to fit that. So about two hours later, my family doctor called um, and told us to come in right away, which obviously when you get that call, you know that's not a good sign. English is not her first language. Um, so sometimes when I've seen her about other things, she comes off as very abrupt and direct. And I don't think that that's the meaning behind it. Um, but she definitely doesn't have the best bedside manner. So literally all that came out of her mouth was, there is no baby, or if there was one, it's gone. And so obviously that hit us like a ton of bricks. Um, and my husband was really upset about the delivery of that message. Like there was no kind of lead up to it. That was basically the first thing that she said when she walked into the room after looking over the imaging center's results. Um, so we were both definitely taken aback by that and not really sure what to say. Um, she didn't give us much more information after that. But we did ask to see the imaging center's report, um, and I'm glad we did because uh, it indicated that <clears throat> all of the signs were pointing to a blighted ovum. 
And because we'd done our research before going into that appointment, at least we knew what that was at that point. Um, in case, I'm sure there are lots of people who do know, but a blighted ovum is essentially when a fertilized egg attaches itself to the uterine wall, but the embryo does not develop. So cells develop to form the pregnancy sac, but not the embryo itself. Um, so basically your body continues to think that it's pregnant and it produces all the necessary hormones, including HCG, which is what gives you the positive pregnancy test. So even though I tested like four times throughout my pregnancy, um, again, I'm sure people can relate to that. You just keep testing. Um, and I kept getting positive pregnancy tests. There was um, never an actual embryo. So this was at 10 weeks. So I was, you know, I'd spent the last six weeks um, thinking I was pregnant. So of course it was really disappointing. Um, we felt really frustrated that we'd spent the last, you know, almost two months thinking that we were pregnant and making all of the future plans for when our due date was going to be, um, it was like February 29th. So I think it was supposed to be on the leap year and all those massive plans that you make the day that you see that positive pregnancy test. Um, so we were told nothing from our doctor about what a blighted ovum is or what to expect or anything like that. Um, so she made a referral to an OBGYN, which I wasn't really sure why at the time, but now looking back, I figure it's because it was considered then an incomplete miscarriage. So I was supposed to go see this OBGYN to, um, I guess, help complete it. Um, but it would soon be discovered that that was not going to be necessary. Um, so oddly enough, the day after that scan, um, I began to miscarry at home. Um, my cramping had become so bad and I was in like a tremendous amount of pain that obviously I knew, you know, this, this is it. Um, my bleeding had increased so much. Um, almost to like a scary extent like I know your blood increases when you're pregnant your blood volume but it was still scary and it was a lot um so I, I was almost in denial about what was happening and I just wanted to distract myself but I actually made my husband take me to like the outlet mall that's down the road from us and I you know loaded up on pads and I uh, was like, oh, it's fine. Like, I just need to get out of here and stop just, you know, sitting here cramping and focusing on it. But that didn't go well. We were there for all of five minutes and I was in so much pain that we left. Um, so basically I came home and I ended up having to sit on the toilet for a couple of hours and I was just kept passing clots and blood. And eventually I know I passed the sack. I could just feel like, you know, it was bigger than everything else. And um. Yeah, so my husband got that for us and disposed of it for us um, so that I didn't have to see it. Um, so it was painful, like, you know, physically and emotionally when that happened. But at the same time, as I've also heard other people mention, it is a relief. You just want it over with. You want to get it done and move on and um, in our case, because an embryo hadn't developed, we just kept trying to look at it from a very scientific point of view. Both my husband and I are very like logical thinking 
people that we just kept thinking, you know what, it wasn't an embryo or it wasn't, it wasn't an embryo, it wasn't a fetus. Um, it wasn't really a death. It was just something that never took, you know, it was that it reached that benchmark in the chemistry experiment and it just didn't go any further than that. So we just kept trying to look at it from a very logical perspective, um, which I think helped us get through that one and try to move on from there. Um, so we were really disappointed, obviously, that we had to start over. Um, but we were optimistic that because we got pregnant so quickly, well, naive might be a better word for it now in hindsight, um, because we got pregnant so quickly the first time that, you know, of course we're going to get pregnant quickly again the second time. And because we already had our one miscarriage, you know, what are the chances of a second one? So all that kind of stuff was going through our heads, trying to just be optimistic. Um, so we did start trying again a couple of months later. Um, I took, we took one or two months off that just to kind of let me heal physically and of course a bit emotionally just to kind of get back on track and get my cycle back on track. Um, but then we did start trying again a couple months after that. And in December of 2019, we found out like December 16th, I think it was that we were pregnant again. Um, so this time around, I kept telling myself, of course, I had the panic, you know, it's probably like a blighted ovum again. And, you know, trying to, I was definitely being very negative about it. And I was scared, I think, you know, when looking back at it, it was probably that's why I was reacting that way. I wasn't as excited as I should be, you know, the first as if it was my first time seeing a positive pregnancy test like it was the first time um but i tried to push that aside and try to think positively and i put together a little surprise for my husband and it was a little card when he got home from work with the positive pregnancy test saying you know um me plus you <laughs> or something like that. i don't know something equals three um but I just, I kept trying to be excited about it. Um, but I think it was pretty normal that I was nervous. Um, this time around, we weren't sure what to do in terms of telling people because we found last time with the blighted ovum that because we hadn't told really anybody that we were pregnant, we then felt like we were hiding the miscarriage after. So we found like a lot of people were accidentally, you know, putting their foot in their mouths and we felt bad that they were doing that by saying things like, oh, when are you guys going to have a baby? Like, when are you going to give us, you know, our son a cousin or things like that? Like, they don't mean any harm by it. Um, but it was making us obviously, you know, feel even worse. And then we felt bad that they didn't know. So we ended up telling people that we had had a miscarriage. <clears throat> So this time around, we were like, well, last time we hid the pregnancy and then we ended up having to hide a miscarriage. So maybe this time we'll open up the circle a little bit and tell people about the pregnancy um, so that, you know, they can join with us in the celebration. And then if something happens, then they, this time they can actually, you know, join with us in the, the, the morning of the loss as well. So because it was around Christmas time, we decided to have some fun with it. Um, we did a cute little reveal with my husband's family at Christmas. Um, his sisters actually do 
um, in July. So our due date would have been end of August. So she was going to be due a month before us. So that was quite exciting that we were going to have two little babies um, born close together in that side of the family. Um, <clears throat> so we branched out our circle to letting our um, immediate families know. So my husband's immediate family um, and then my immediate family and a couple of our uh, close friends. Um, so that helped, I think, with the excitement. We, it did make us more excited seeing how excited people were for us. Um, so that was really nice. In January of this year, 2020, um, because of what happened with the previous pregnancy, I was really eager to get an earlier um, ultrasound this time around. Um, I needed to know that there was something there this time. Um, I didn't want to, you know, go on another six weeks of thinking I was pregnant to then find out that I wasn't. So um, I booked an ultrasound as early as I could. And here to get in um, with the ones that are covered by your provincial health care, sometimes it can take a couple of weeks. So I think I was around eight weeks um, when I was uh, able to get in for an ultrasound. Um, and I was having all the typical symptoms. I was nauseous. I was tired. For me, it's always been really tender breasts, too, that I've always had. That's always been a sure sign for me that something was going on. Um, so, of course, I loved having the symptoms because it made me feel more confident in the pregnancy and that this was like the real deal this time, even though I know some people can have no symptoms at all. Um, but I was feeling good knowing that I was having, you know, strong symptoms. So this time we went in for the scan, same thing. My husband wasn't allowed to come in, but he still came to the appointment. Um, the, they were able to do an abdominal ultrasound this time and they found a fetus really quickly. So that was really nice. Um, I knew this time it was different because they went and called my husband into the room so that he could um, see the screen as well. Uh, they were able to show us the heartbeat this time. Um, so we didn't hear it, but they were able to show us it um, on the uh, ultrasound machine. So again, the text, she couldn't tell us much. All she could tell us was that it was a viable pregnancy. Um, a couple of days later, our midwives called me and told me that everything was looking good on the ultrasound, um, that the heartbeat was really strong and that it was actually measuring um, three days ahead of what we'd originally thought, um, which was everything we wanted to hear. We were absolutely on cloud nine. It sent us like into way more excitement than we'd had previously. Um, we sent the picture of the sonogram to, you know, everyone that we, that who knew we were pregnant. Um, just, it was everything you wanted from when you, you know, start wanting to have babies. You want to see that sonogram picture. You want to carry it out with you and be told, you know, everything looks good. Um, so about a month later, February, 2020, um, I finally made it to the point where I was able to see my midwives. So I was now like 11 weeks and six days. So just that one day away from 12 weeks. Um, I was so excited that this time I'd finally made it to my midwife appointment. <laughs> um, so I went to see them. It was more of like an intake appointment. 
um, just filling out forms and meeting the, the team and stuff like that. At the end of the appointment, they asked me if I wanted to try to find the heartbeat using the Doppler. Um, she did warn me that because I was before 12 weeks that they may not be able to find it. Um, so asked me if I still wanted to go ahead with it, uh, knowing that, that they may not find it. Uh, me being me, I don't have the most patience in the world. And I just, again, wanted that reassurance. Um, I said, yes, like, please just try to find it. Um, so she did try, she tried for a few minutes. Um, she was not able to find it, but she did tell me again, like, it is normal that we don't always find the heartbeat before 12 weeks with a Doppler. Um, especially with a tilted uterus, your uterus is further back, which means the fetus is further back and all this kind of stuff, just trying to reassure me. So I did try to really take in her words as much as I was, you know, panicking on the inside. I kept telling myself, she, this professional is telling me that it's normal. Um, so sure enough, similar to right after my previous miscarriage scan, um, everything happening the day after that, um, I go home the night of my midwife appointment and I go pee basically as soon as I get home. Um, and I wiped and there was brown spotting on the toilet paper. So of course this sent me into a panic, you know, everything from the first miscarriage was flooding back to me. Um, I was, I realized a few days earlier that my breasts weren't as tender anymore. I wasn't as tired, um, stuff like that. But I chalked that up to, you know, I was at the end of my first trimester and I've always heard, you know, when you go into the second trimester that your symptoms subside or sometimes you just have a loss of symptoms and a lot of things you read say, just enjoy that. So that's what I was trying to do. I was just trying to enjoy the fact that my symptoms were subsiding because I was moving into the second trimester. But then I was putting that together with some mild cramping that I'd had that day, which I chalked up to, um, you know, just normal pains of things shifting down there or round ligament pain or um, being on my feet all day, that kind of stuff. Um, and then added on now that spotting and then the lack of heartbeat and um, the loss of symptoms and just adding it all together was sending me into a bit of a spiral. Um, and again, just that innate feeling that something was wrong. My husband, you know, kept trying to tell me, we don't know anything yet. Um, try to remain positive. And I kept saying, no, I know, like it feels the same as last time. And um, I just know, but just to be sure we booked an ultrasound with a private clinic. So here, if you want to pay out of pocket, for an ultrasound, you'll get in a lot quicker. Um, but it was still two days until the earliest appointment that they had. So I took it, um, but I wouldn't make it that far. <laughs> um, so February 12th now, so this is the day after my, or not really the day after, it's three o'clock in the morning after my midwife appointment, um, I woke up with incredibly bad cramps, uh, way worse than the first time. 
Um, and I got up to go to the washroom, more bleeding, bright red this time. Um, so I made like a hot water bottle and I tried to go lay back down and just put that water bottle on my abdomen. I took some Advil um, because I knew what was happening now. So why not try to, you know, give myself a little bit of relief. Um, so took a couple Advil, went and laid down with the hot water bottle. And about 20 minutes later, I just felt this massive rush of blood. Um, and I know I've heard people describe it on here before, but it, it is just like this rush. Um, and it's just such a strange sensation. Um, so I turned on the light and my bed and myself and everything is just, you know, covered in a flood of blood. Um, I rushed to the bathroom and my husband came with me, um, but we knew it was happening again. We figured because last time it happened at home and we were able to kind of pass everything at home and be fine that we could do that again. Um, so I sat on the toilet again for what felt like hours <laughs> passing, you know, clots after clots. They were, some of them were scarily massive clots. Um, the blood wasn't stopping or slowing down. Um, so I was actually getting tired, like my legs are falling asleep from sitting on the toilet for so long. So I moved to the bathtub and I just ran like the hot shower head over my abdomen to kind of help me with some of the cramping as well. Um, and same thing, the bleeding kept going and wasn't stopping. Um, Kyle was sitting beside me, um, beside the bathtub on the floor the whole time, holding my hand, telling me to drink juice. <laughs> I think he was just trying to do anything he could to not feel helpless. He was trying to convince me to go to the hospital. Um, I have a big thing about hospitals. Like I, um, so not only with my mom and dad's death did we spend a lot of time at hospitals, but I um, had a battle with cancer myself. So I had cancer in my jaw. So I've had three reconstructive um, surgeries on my jaw um, to get rid of cancer. Um, so I've spent a ton of my life, my you know relatively young life in hospitals and I avoid them like the plague. Um, so I definitely have some, you know, PTSD stuff when it comes to hospitals. Um, so I do avoid them, um, when I can. And in this case, I probably shouldn't have, but I, you know, I thought last time we did it at home, why not this time? Um, so Kyle's trying to convince me to go to the hospital. Um, so I didn't even know how that would be possible to go because no pad, you know, was going to be stopping this amount of blood. So I just kept thinking, you know, how are we going to get to the hospital when I'm essentially hemorrhaging and the bleeding's not stopping? So around like 4.45 in the morning, I'm still laying in the bathtub and I start to feel like really bad. Like I start to feel really awful. Um, I start to feel nauseous and shaky. Um, and then I started to feel faint. I could feel I was about to pass out. You get really hot and warm and clammy and sweaty and nauseous. And I just told Kyle, call 911. 
so right after I said that, um, I lost consciousness while laying in the bathtub. Um, and I guess according to Kyle, I'd thrown up on myself a couple of times while I was out. Um, so he obviously, you know, that scared the life out of Kyle. He was terrified for me. I, I woke up a few minutes later and he was on the phone with nine one one. They were telling him to, if I woke up, to try to keep me awake. So he was, you know, little taps on my face and calling my name and telling me to stay awake if I could. I was having a really hard time. Like at that point, all he wanted to do was, you know, pass back out. <laughs> I just wanted to sleep. Um, I was already laying down in the bathtub. So like the dispatchers were worried that I hit my head, but um, we were able to tell them that I didn't because I was already laying down when I passed out. So they stayed on the phone with um, with Kyle until the uh, paramedics arrived. Um, so they came into the house and they got me on the stretcher in the bathroom. I was really determined before they arrived that I needed to get clothes on. <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess I was just feeling very, you know, exposed. Um, but uh, the, Kyle wouldn't let me stand up with, you know, the risk that I was going to fall and hit my head um, and faint again. So he did throw a towel over top of me before they got in. Um, but these paramedics, I'm sure, have seen everything, so they didn't care. Um, they helped me get dressed, um, and then they took me from my house to the ambulance, and we were on our way to the hospital. Um, Kyle came in the um, ambulance with me. Um, so we get to the hospital around 5.30 in the morning. Um, the triage room was pretty empty. Um, and they actually were trying to get, I could, they were trying to get me in really quickly to a bed in the ER. But while we were waiting in the triage room, I knew that I had to sit up. I was having still really bad cramping, still bleeding a ton. But I knew because I was horizontal that the clots were just building up in my abdomen and that was what was causing my cramping to be so bad. Um, so the triage nurse and, and Kyle helped me um, get up on a toilet in the bathroom. And I knew I passed the sack. And I told the nurse, I think that was the sack. It just felt different than everything else. Um, I started to get faint because I was sitting up, so I had to quickly lay back down on the stretcher. Um, and the nurse examined it and she said, yeah, I think you're probably right. And then for some reason she flushed it, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I'm a bit more upset about now knowing that they could examine the fetus to maybe find out what went wrong. Um, but now they can't because for whatever reason, um, she flushed it. So they got me into um, an ER room. Um, they were really quick to come and see me, which you kind of know is when something's going wrong. I know the paramedics warned um, the triage nurse that my blood pressure was dangerously low. They said that I was, um, that I was hypertensive, that I had a 
uh, blood pressure, I think it was like 80 over 63 or 53 or something. Um, and I had my heart rate was in going between the 40s and 50s, which is really low, especially for me. So um, they rushed me into an ER room and um, they kept having to change me every like 20 minutes. They had me in these um, post kind of maternity, um, I don't want to call them diapers, but essentially they're, <laughs> they look like adult diapers. Um, and they were having to change those like every 20 minutes, um, just because of the amount of blood that was coming out. Uh, they did a blood, uh, sorry, a bedside ultrasound. Um, and they saw that there was a large mass uh, in my abdomen down by my pelvis. And I was like, yeah, like I could have told you that was there. Like that's a blood clot that's been forming because, you know, I have to be horizontal. So unfortunately, before this happened, I gave my husband the green light to go home because um, we'd already been there for a few hours and I was just laying there in bed and I was feeling okay. Um, I gave him the green light to go home and get our car and get me a change of clothes for when we were, we needed to leave the hospital. So he was gone at this point when they came to do the ultrasound. Um, and he was going to be, you know, all of 30 minutes, but I had told them I had to sit up like the cramping was getting so bad. Um, that I was in agony and they were trying to give me morphine and things like that and it wasn't helping. So I convinced the nurse that if I sat up, I would pass this clot and I would feel a million times better. So they brought this portable commode in and uh, a couple of the nurses helped me get up onto it. And sure enough, like as soon as I was vertical, this massive clot came out. And as soon as the clock came out, I fainted again. Uh, they told me that I was out for about five minutes. Um, when I woke up, there was about 10 hospital staff around me. They were trying to wake me up, um, you know, shaking me a little bit. One of them was holding my head and supporting my head. Um, the rest were trying to just wake me up. So when I woke up, I vomited and then they, a few of them had to lift me from the commode back onto the hospital bed. They inverted the hospital bed to go backwards so that my head um, was tilted back. And it was incredible how quickly I felt a hundred times better. <laughs> um, I immediately, as soon as I got blood back to my head, I felt like I was fine. Like, you know, I got the color back to my face. I wasn't nauseous anymore. I wasn't in pain anymore. Um, I just felt so much better. Um, so it was obviously a lack of blood um, to my brain that was making me faint. So that was very concerning to them. So I lay back in this inverted hospital bed for the next few hours. Um, so right after I woke up from being passed out and all of that happening, um, Kyle came back from with our car and all that and was like, oh, how did things go? How's she doing? 
And they're like, well, <laughs> so they brought him into the room and kind of gave him the download on everything that had just happened with me fainting and everything. So of course he felt awful for not being there and for leaving, but it was probably best that he wasn't there and um, to see that because that's one of the hardest things on him is watching me have to, you know, deal with it. Um, so probably best that he wasn't there, but he definitely felt very guilty and the timing of it all. Um, so yeah, I stayed in this inverted bed for the next few hours and, um, they kept monitoring my blood pressure and my hemoglobin levels. I guess neither were really rising naturally on their own, like they wanted them to. The ER nurse or the ER doctor did a vaginal exam to try to find out the source of the bleeding and why I was still bleeding so much. Um, they told me that the clot that I passed when I passed out on the commode was um, like the size of a football. Um, both of them had said that like the nurse and the ER doctor had said it was one of the biggest clots they'd ever seen. Um, so <laughs> that would explain, you know, why I fainted, I guess, and why I was in so much pain. Um, so my levels weren't, weren't rising naturally. Um, so a couple hours later, they decided that I needed to have a blood transfusion. So they gave me, um, a bag of plasma um, and it did help me feel a little bit better. I was starting to feel less nauseous. Um, I felt some color coming back to my face, but my blood pressure was still um, pretty low to the point where I still couldn't sit up or stand up without um, feeling faint um, or collapsing. So they kept saying, try like little bits at a time. And as soon as I would get, you know, 45 degrees, I would start to feel lightheaded. So I kept having to be completely flat with my head um, tilted back. Eventually an OB on call um, came to see me. Um, she was like the nurses and the doctors were great there, but the OB was the first one to really reassure me about the actual miscarriage side of things. I think the ER doctors were just trying to help me um, with the blood loss and everything, which is totally fair. But I think the OB obviously recognized the loss side of it. So she came down and one of the first things she said was, um, you know, this is not your fault. Um, this is no indicator of future pregnancies. You did nothing wrong. Um, you know, I hope this doesn't discourage you from trying again. So she was, she was very, encouraging in that way which I really appreciated at the time because before that the actual loss hadn't really been acknowledged it was more just focusing on on me um so that was nice of her so I just wanted to recognize that um but she wanted to do another um vaginal exam same reason to find out why I was still bleeding so many hours later so a very few or a very a few very painful minutes later, um, she was able to tell me that there was a t where there was tissue holding my cervix open. Um, so that's why I was continuing to bleed and it wasn't slowing down was my cervix was being held open by um, some of the tissue. So she was able to remove the tissue and then sure enough, within like half an hour, my bleeding had like majorly subsided and then within an hour, um, it had stopped. So after that, 
my blood pressure was finally starting to come up on its own, um, you know, coupled with the blood transfusion as well. Uh, so I remained there for like the rest of the day and around like 10 o'clock at night, they released me and told me I could go home. The stipulation was I could go home if I could sit up and stand up on my own. I'd gotten to the point where I could sit up in bed on my own, but I hadn't got to the point where I could stand up <laughs> uh, without feeling really faint and needing to sit back down. Um, but they still let me go because they said my husband was with me and I'd going to be leaving in a wheelchair and I was going to be on bed rest for the next few days. So um, thankfully they let me go because like I said before, I don't want to spend any more time in hospitals than I have to. Um, so I did spend the next few days in bed rest um, with, again, you know, my husband took a couple days off work um, to stay with me and to wait on me hand and foot. <laughs> and uh, he was so scared during all of that, um, mostly for my life. I think he genuinely thought my life was at risk and it could have been. Obviously, they never, you know, told me that it was. I'm not sure. But he was terrified of losing me that I think that that overshadowed the, um, sorry, overshadowed the pregnancy loss um, a bit at the time. But see, when I talk about him, I get emotional. <laughs> um, but I think after a few days of bed rest, um, the gravity of what we'd lost really hit us. Um, so once I started feeling better, then I started, you know, getting angry and getting angry at my body, which in hindsight, it's not fair. You know, my body just got me through all of that. Um, but I think the biggest disappointment is just you, like I said before, the moment you get that pregnancy test, it's almost like you've become a mom. You start planning the next, you know, however many years of your life you you start we were playing that we were going to have a summer baby that it was going to be you know a month younger than um my sister-in-law's baby um it was going to have the same due date as um my nephew's birthday so they were going to get to share a birthday um you know he was going to be about a month and a half old at my little sister's wedding in october so it was just all these things that you just start to plan ahead for and you start to get so excited for like I was looking at little wedding outfits for a boy or a girl that it could wear to my little sister's wedding in October so it's like you just you get so far ahead of yourself because you're just so excited so of course it's tragic that we lost you know the the fetus because we knew this time there actually was a fetus in there but I think the biggest heartbreak is what you lost in the future so um yeah so we were obviously heartbroken devastated we wondered why you know why us again why did we have two um and i think we used to be those naive people who thought you know you have sex and then you get pregnant and then nine months later you have a baby <laughs> And I think we just kept getting so disappointed that that was not the truth. <laughs> that was not what was happening. But obviously, after everything I've been through, I start to realize more and more how that's just really not the case for so many people. Um, that it's so much more of a complicated process for 
almost most people um, than that. So it's reassuring to know, obviously, that we're not the only ones, which is obviously where this podcast has really helped me. And I've heard so many, you know, similar stories to my own that have made me feel way better knowing that you're not alone. Um, because like I said, I'm no stranger to grief or to trauma, but this grief definitely feels much more, it feels different. It feels much more lonely. Um, so it is nice to know that there is a, you know, a support system out there, even if it's people that you don't know. And of course, people in your life do try to help. Um, and they do everything that they can, but they just don't know what to say. And that's fair. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have known what to say to this before going through two in a year. So it's just, it's totally fair. They don't know what to say, but it is nice to have the support system. Um, I just, one of the things I remember feeling after was embarrassed that I now had to tell people uh, that we'd lost another pregnancy. Um, I I felt like I almost, like I, I failed an exam or something, <laughs> or like I failed my driver's test and I was embarrassed to tell people. And I'm kind of ashamed that I felt that way. Um, which is why I wanted to do this podcast to kind of get my um, get my story out there because I don't want people to ever feel embarrassed or ashamed uh, because you really didn't do anything to feel that way. One of the things I started doing is try to think of how many ways um, that I didn't fail, that we succeeded. Um, like we succeeded in conceiving this life. We succeeded in carrying it for however long we did. Uh, we succeeded in loving it for however long we did. Um, and the chances are our bodies succeeded uh, when it told us that this life just wasn't meant to be and that something was wrong. Our bodies are incredible things and I have to trust that it's trying to do what's right for me. Um, and that is very complicated chemistry experiment. You know, it just hasn't gone my way yet. <laughs> but I have to believe that it will um like I know I'm meant to be a mom and my husband is meant to be a dad and our time will come I just hope it's sooner rather than later uh I read this quote recently that I'm you, you might have even shared I don't know somebody shared and it said that I'm terrified I'll get pregnant again and I'm also terrified that I won't and that resonates with me like very deeply because that's exactly how I feel. So I'm trying to turn my mindset around and be more positive that um, things will go our way eventually. <laughs> yes, I, I honestly feel like you've given so much advice, but I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Uh, I've been thinking on this one a lot um, because advice is so tricky because it's so subjective. Um, you know, some things that work for some people won't work for others. So all I can really do is share what I've been trying to do. Um, and just basically with, and I think we get a lot from even this, you know, the title of this podcast is 
life after miscarriage. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that there is very much a life, you know, your life um, after miscarriage. Um, one of the kind of mantras that I go back to a lot with everything um, that I've dealt with in life in general um, is a quote by, by Robert Frost that says, in three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. Um, and it really truly does. I think that when you're scared about what's next, try to find confidence in what you've already been through and what you've already conquered. And if you can do that, then you can do this and keep trying to just move forward. And I think at a time like this in, in quarantine, we have a lot of you know, self-reflection time, which can be very dangerous, but can also be very useful. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, use it as a useful time to kind of rediscover who I was before I became obsessed with, you know, trying to conceive, before I became obsessed with, you know, pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, hormones, um, all those kind of things that we become like all consumed by. So I'm trying to remember the things that made me me before this um, and putting my focus there and same with my marriage. So with Kyle, what was our relationship before trying to conceive um, and before going through all of this? Because it really does take a toll um, on your relationship as well. And it changes your relationship and it starts to become this mission that you're on together, which is great. But I think you also need to remember why you got married in the first place. Um, it wasn't solely just to conceive or to have a baby. It was to have a life together. Um, so we've gone back to that as well and trying to discover things. Of course, there's lots of things we can't do right now that we would love to be doing. But um, discover what our relationship was before trying to conceive as well. And that's, that's really led us in a much more positive direction than we were you know, a couple months ago when all this was originally going down. <laughs> yes, I, I loved what you said um, when you were saying that you're trying to recognize what you have succeeded at instead of what you failed at, or like you mm -hmm. guys as a couple. I think that that's such a unique way to start the healing process and start thinking about, you know, the trauma that we've all been through. I, I've never heard that from anybody. And I really, I agree so much with it. And I think that that is a very unique thing to share. And I just want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for sharing your whole story because you did amazing. If somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So my Instagram is just at Teresa Higgins and same with on, on Facebook. Awesome. So. And I will, I'll link that in the description so that people can find you. So, um, you guys reach out. That's what this community is all about. Again, thank you so much, Teresa, for jumping on and sharing your story. We appreciate it. It's going to be so healing for others and I hope it was healing for yourself as well. It was great. Thank you so much for having me, Shelly. Yes. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.
Thank you.